Chinese economic espionage against the United States has been increasing, and it has been increasing rapidly. We are here today to say enough is enough. How dare you? Did he just how dare you himself? That's odd. <laughs> it's the Armstrong and Getty Show. Oh, man, we have so much good stuff to get to. Uh, great, uh, really interesting internet pioneer says you got to delete your social accounts because they will end democracy. And um, I'm telling you, I know, I know how you're feeling. That you, you probably, I'll bet y'all had uh, the, the momentary reaction like a drunk hears. You have to stop drinking, thinking I don't want to. I can't. I, I well, I can't. I won't. That's a bad idea. Uh, but we'll go into his thinking. I don't like hearing it. I get that same sick feeling when I hear that phrase. We have a lot of good bonus mailbag people with intriguing thoughts, ideas, reactions to what we've done. But um, this is from Wired. It's China's five steps for recruiting spies. And some of this China. is... Yes, sir, Mr. President. China, indeed. Uh, some of this is particular to China. Some is not. Uh, some is just classic spycraft. But... Beware of Chinese spies, writes Wired, um, somebody or other, offering laptops, women, or educational stipends. And especially watch out for odd LinkedIn requests. The Justice Department on Tuesday, actually that was what uh, Jeff Sessions, the Attorney General, was talking about, unsealed new charges against 10 Chinese intelligence officers and hackers, which says perpetrating a year-long scheme to steal trade secrets from aerospace companies. Uh, case continues an impressive tempo from the Justice Department as it continues to try to curb China's massive, wide-ranging, and long-running espionage campaign. For the millionth time, our universities are lousy with Chinese spies, and the FBI knows it. Counterintelligence knows it. Um, uh, and then there are university presidents who consider that racism, to point that out. They are stupid people whose ideology has blinded them to what is plainly true. They mentioned the GE aviation case. Chinese espionage against the U.S. Um, has emerged over the past two decades as perhaps the most widespread, damaging, and pernicious national security threat facing the country, compromising trade secrets, American jobs, and human lives. It's absolutely true. It doesn't, you know, it's funny. We have this, uh, and, and it's fed by the media, but we have this weird tendency to think we can only pay attention to one thing. Like it's got to be China or Russia. Well, bad news, folks. They're, they're both coming after us just in different ways and for different reasons. The majority of Chinese espionage cases over the last several years have involved ethnic Chinese. So if you're of Chinese heritage, listen up. If you're not, you're not off the hook. But the ethnic Chinese have have included Chinese students who came to the U.S. for college or advanced degrees, got hired at tech companies, and then headed back to China with stolen trade secrets. This year, we've seen a rash of cases of Americans allegedly recruited to spy on Chinese behalf, encouraged to turn over sensitive military intelligence or economic info, at least uh, one of which has started with a simple LinkedIn message. But uh, So they sifted through more than a dozen of the major cases, Chinese spies targeting Westerners, and it provides an illuminating window. The recruitment follows a well-known five-step espionage roadmap. You're spotting... You're assessing, you're developing, you're recruiting, and finally what the professionals call handling. Yeah, that's what I thought it was going to be. Right? Sean, well-versed <laughs> in the craft, the spy craft. So, spotting. I've seen the Americans. Yeah, me too. Oh, man, I love that show. 
We're going to rewatch it from the beginning one of these days. Oh, I can't get Netflix to load on my TV. Just spins and spins and spins. What the hell? I can watch you, it on my tablet. Are your other internet things connecting to it, yeah, too? Yeah, I can watch Amazon Prime Video, huh. but Netflix just spins. What the hell? And I, I, I troubleshot it and said, uh, talk to your uh, your device maker. My device maker is Sony. Hey, Sony! <laughs> Sony! Why can't I watch Netflix? I want to watch Ozark on the big screen. Moving along. Here's how the spotting works. The spotters, who are often friendly officials at think tanks, universities, or corporations, perhaps those damned Confucius centers that are opening at universities all over the country. In fact, is there still one at UC Davis University, California, Davis? They are Chinese spy factories, you stupid fools. Oh, wait a minute. They're, they're promising us money? I don't care who they are or what they want. Give us the money. Give us the money. Give us the money. The spotters, sometimes friendly officials at think tanks, universities, or corporations, are often, you know, somebody come up with a list of the Confucius centers at American universities. They're often separate from the intelligence officers who ultimately approach potential spies, allowing level two or two of remove. They're, they're talent scouts. They sometimes have such deep cover that they're considered too valuable to make a recruitment approach directly, leaving that work to a cutout who could more easily disappear if the recruitment pitch is rejected. So the spotters are super valuable because they're entrenched in America. Then they'll bring in a, a pinch hitter to actually do the recruiting. But these spotters are the professors and the grad students and the, uh, the business officials. So this report from earlier this year. We'll, we'll get to that in a okay. minute. All eight of the targeted individuals uh, in in the one the most recent big government complaint were ethnic Chinese who worked in science or tech. Seven of them were either currently employed or had recently retired from U.S. defense contractors, according to the U.S. government. Um, so that's you know that's uh, obvious how that works. So if you're a Chinese uh, of Chinese heritage and you're working in tech or defense, and well, I would say uh, pay extra careful attention to the next several uh, steps we outline. Then there's the assessing. Once intelligence officers identify potential recruits, they examine how they might encourage those spies uh, to spy, or those people to spy. Professionals often summarize the motives for espionage with the acronym MICE. MICE. Money, ideology, coercion, ego. Spies want to be paid for their work or believe in the cause or can be blackmailed or they want the ego boost that comes with being a clever, clever spy. I get that. I feel like cash and ego would be what I what they would use to flip me. I feel I don't know. I don't think the other two I'd be. You're not big on uh, uh, ideology or coercion. I yeah, I don't feel like those are my. I Mr. feel like I'm Sean, strong enough. We will review. We will reveal that you smoke the marijuana. <laughs> Do you follow me Go on Twitter? <laughs> Do you, nice. Well, it often relies on ideology or coercion and pressuring ethnic Chinese to spy on its behalf abroad. China's proved particularly successful in luring Westerners with, of course, cash. In June this year, FBI agents arrested a Utah man as he was getting ready to fly to China, China and charged him with attempting to pass national defense info to China. Felony complaint says Ron Rockwell Hansen former DIA officer, that's the Defense Intelligence Agency, had been struggling financially. He's living off a pension, had heavy debts. 
And in 2014, he allegedly began meeting with two MSS officers. That's the, uh, well, that's the spy agency, the MSS, who introduced themselves to him as David and Martin. And they offered him up to 300 gur a year for consulting services. How about that? It's fascinating to me how often in these types of stories that I've are becoming more and more frequent, I see that a large portion of what they are paid is first we'll just we'll we'll pay off all your debt and then they'll throw a couple extra thousand on top of it for your walking around money or whatever. Right. But a lot of it is just getting out of debt. Well, and then keep in mind duplicitous betraying uh, treasonous dumbasses. Once you take paycheck number one, they got the coercion hook into you, you dumb dumb. You can be blackmailed, and suddenly your pay is cut, but you got to keep doing it, huh? Well, people just don't think. So, Well, desperation causes people to do dumb stuff. So anyway, they assess you on the old mice scale. Can we get them for uh, money, ideology, coercion, or ego? Then developing, and this is one of my favorite stories, uh, third stage is known as developing when recruiters began to ask for trivial requests or favors to establish rapport. Former CIA director John Brennan, who's become a obnoxious MSNBC commentator, but we'll put that aside for the moment, said last year, quote, frequently people who go along a treasonous path do not know they're on a treasonous path until it is too late. In one of its more daring efforts in recent years, Chinese intelligence tried to place an ambitious China-loving American student inside the CIA, hoping he would rise up through the ranks. Glenn Duffy Shriver, he's a student from outside Richmond, Virginia, Became intrigued with China. He did a 45-day study abroad program in 01. And and just, he fell in love with it. It's a fascinating country. He later returned for his junior year abroad, becoming fluent in Chinese. Moved to Shanghai, where he acted in Chinese films and commercials. And they ID'd him. They thought, hmm, wait a minute, we can use this guy. Around 04, he responded to a newspaper ad asking for someone to write a white paper about trade relations between the U.S., North Korea, and Taiwan. Woman who hired him called herself Amanda, paid him 120 bucks. She said she liked the work and asked if he'd be interested in more. And then, and this will be Sean's favorite part of it, she introduced him to two friends, Mr. Wu and Mr. Tang. <laughs> Wait a oh minute. My. Mr. Wu Tang? Wu the Ch- Chinese intelligence services have a sense of humor, apparently. Good point. Mr. Wu and Mr. Tang. That Please. is fantastic. Please, were Mr. Hong and Mr. Kong busy? Mr. Wang and Mr. Chung, they're on other assignments? Mr. Wu and Mr. Tang? Chi- Michael, was did that go over the air? No. Well, then don't say it in my ear. All right. It was funny, everybody. It was very funny. It, was, it made reference to an unfortunate incident where a Bay Area, California TV station was duped into using... Awful, bigoted, fake Chinese names in reporting a news story. Google it. So over time, they encouraged this kid to join uh, either the State Department or the CIA, and he kept failing the exam, but they kept paying him to keep trying. Um. Uh, anyway, the FBI actually it turned that incident into a low-budget movie to warn other students studying abroad about Chinese friends bearing gifts. Because that's how they get you. Boy, you're smart. You're interesting. Uh, write a paper for us on uh, uh, Chinese trade relations. And then they just, they, they, it's, you know, it's like the, the perverts, the way they uh, groom people. Then there's the recruiting when they actually ask you to start spying. That's a touchy thing because a lot of people freak out. 
And then the handling, the ongoing handling, which they point out, uh, unlike the old days, like when you watch the Americans with uh, dead drops or brush passes or leaving something under a bench or in a trash can. Now it's all um, uh, surreptitious cell phones, encrypted communication, and emails left in draft folders. So you write them, but you don't send them, and you give them access to your computer, which is interesting. Yes, sadly, there seems to be a l- much less fake facial hair in modern spycraft. Right. Which makes it a lot less appealing for me as someone who might want to go into that. Right. To, to don the Fu Manchu one day in the aviators, the full beard and the blonde wig the next day. How exciting would that be? So there you go. You traveled to China a lot. You in tech. You in defense, allied industries, and... You notice some of the Chinese people are just super friendly and they think I'm really, really smart. Wake up! You're being recruited as a Chinese spook. More to come. Little midterm election stuff. Next, Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. Today was World Vegan Day. Celebrate with no meat, no dairy, and no friends. Wow. Wow. They're just trying to be healthy. Right. Like, I I get it. They're food chain deniers. We can make fun of them. But I think they take a lot of heat when they're just trying to be healthy. They don't want to be mean to animals. I get it. I feel the same way about your diet as I do about your religion. Perhaps someday we can talk about it. Uh, but if I don't ask, don't tell me. <laughs> uh, oh, speaking of which, we need to uh, we need to devote a little time. I want to devote a little time to the absolutely horrifying case of the woman in Pakistan who was held on death row for eight years for the crime of blasphemy for saying something fairly innocuous against the prophet. They were going to execute her. Well, the Supreme Court of Pakistan, to their credit, took like a minute and cleared her and said, no, we're not executing her. She's free. Well, now Pakistan has been brought to a halt. The brave people of Pakistan are embracing their rights. They're protesting in the streets. All the major cities brought to a standstill as protesters are filling the streets, uh, blocking traffic, walking out of work, etc. To demand that this woman be put to death. The ugliest, most middle-aged, not middle-aged, but middle-ages, tendencies of the Muslim world on display right now in our good buddy Pakistan straits. As everybody climbs over each other to show who's the most devout and demands that this poor woman be torn apart or or beaten to death with stones. They can't even run the country now because everybody's so mad that she got to express herself. That's not all Muslims. That's not all of Islam. But that is hundreds of millions of Muslims hold that point of view. That's a huge percent of global Islam agrees with that point of view. 
to deny that is is to, to put your head in the sand. Now to extrapolate from that and say all Muslims are awful, that's bigotry. There's room for thinking people between blindness and bigotry. That's what we try to pitch here on the Armstrong and Getty show. It's probably a bad idea. We ought to pick one or the other. They seem to be in fashion. You're blind on NBC, MSNBC and you're bigoted elsewhere, but oh well. Speaking of not being bigoted, Michael, do we have something that sounds vaguely Asian music-wise? Perhaps the that lovely music we uh, abuse for the haikus people send in. Perfect. Asian yet not bigoted. Little feature I'd like to call traveling in Asia. When we will get to the why social media is going to ruin democracy and probably ruin you. I'm telling you, I find this so disturbing. But I didn't want to rush through it. So I'm going to wait till we have a little more time. But welcome to traveling in Asia. Would the gong be too much? Probably. All right. <clears throat> welcome to traveling in Asia. Dateline Tokyo. Katsutoshi Jitsukawa, age 42. Pilot for Japan Airlines was arrested a couple of days ago for failing a breath test. He was found to have 16 times the legal limit of alcohol in his system. 16 times. Woo! He will drink you right under that knee-high table you're sitting at because you sit on the floor in Japan. First officer pleaded guilty to exceeding the alcohol limit. Of course, you know, let's be fair. The the alcohol limit for pilots with hundreds of people aboard their Boeing 777 is uh, pretty small. But he was 16 times it. He uh, he admitted to having, where is that? I think he had 10 shots or something like that. That's probably more than you ought to have. In June, British Airways pilot uh, Julie Monaghan was jailed for eight months after being caught on duty with a hell of a... Well, she'd had three double vodkas. And then headed for the cockpit. Wow. And then this. This is a tragedy. At least 13 people died. Two more are missing when a a bus plunged 165 feet off a bridge into the Yangtze River. Early reports said the bus had swerved to avoid an oncoming vehicle. But no, new footage shows the driver was in a fist fight with a passenger. The bus, traveling at high speed, veered, rolled out of control, and went over the edge of the bridge. Good God. Hey, try not to get in a fist fight with the driver of your bus, you lunatic. Gee, that's insane. Marshall Phillips, what are our headlines? Trump on a rally roll. Thousands of Google employees worldwide took to the streets, and now an NFL cheerleader takes a knee during the national anthem, the social media explodes. Oh, Lord. I love it and I hate it. I'll stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Happy Friday. It's the Armstrong and Getty Show. Jack is uh, recuperating. He's got some sort of uh, upper respiratory yeah. thing or another, and was all choking and coughing and sneezing and wheezing and heaving and the rest of it. And we told him to stay the hell away. 
And he did. Good for him. Marshall Phillips has our news. He seems to be healthy as a horse. Marshall? Healthy so far. Meanwhile, President Trump says the U.S. is changing asylum rules for illegal immigrants. Now, he was speaking to the White House yesterday. Trump was saying no longer will a meritless appeal for asylum be a free pass for entry to the U.S. He said those looking for asylum will have to present themselves lawfully at a port of entry. Trump again saying, you cannot come here illegally and then ask for asylum on a meritless claim. That's asylum actually... is not a program Sorry? for those living in poverty. There are billions of people in the world living at the poverty level. The United States cannot possibly absorb them all. It's simple common sense, and the law is you have to go to a port of entry. Now, right. the, the rules, because... You know, the whole, I'm just a bill, yeah, I'm only the bill. The idea that we, we, we write laws and then the Congress passes them and the executive enforces them. No, Congress writes incredibly vague laws. Then empowers the executive branch to form a department of, and then they write all the rules. And they interpret the rules. Right. And there's all, and then the judges have to figure out whether any of that passes constitutional muster. Which, as Ben Sass tried to explain to us, is why everybody's so whipped up over the Supreme Court nominations. Because Congress doesn't do its job, and, and the executive branch has this enormous power. This is a great example of it. You got the, uh, you know, you've got your ICE and the Department of the, uh, the, the, the DHS, and you got all these departments, and they got zillions of rules. And then they have, you know, practical and budgetary uh, discretion, what to enforce and when. Right. And in the Obama administration, they said, well, the, the rule is for refugee status, you're supposed to go through a port of entry, but we don't care. You just come on in, we'll have you fill out the paperwork. Because, you know, and Congress is powerless or doesn't choose to exercise their power to do anything about it. So, yeah, Trump can say that. That's not crazy at all. He's just making different priorities for the incredibly over-powerful executive branch. And the president really, really striking a note with his supporters last night at his rally, Trump hitting Democrats for being lax on immigration. Republicans want strong borders, no crime, no chaos, and no caravans. The crowd goes wild. Yes, they do, and they continue going wild. This chant goes on and on and on. What are they chanting? Build that wall. Build that wall. Trump continues his round of rallies today. He's going to be in Indiana and West Virginia today. I've heard a number of serious-faced uh, news-talking heads saying, hey, the president seems to be uh, resorting to overheated rhetoric about the caravan in the uh, days leading up to the... Well, of course he is! That's what politicians do. Thanks for pointing that out. I think we're all hip to that. And then the Democrats are screaming, they're going to take away your health care! There are no Republicans who are going to take away protection for pre-existing conditions. I know they voted to overturn Obamacare. You know why they didn't? Because they didn't have a plan B that would deliver to you, for instance, protection for pre-existing right. conditions. And they knew if they overturned Obamacare without a way to provide the stuff that was really popular, they'd get murdered for it. So they yep. didn't do it. So, no, the caravan is not going to march into your elementary schools and molest your children. Although it is not a good thing at all. It's not cool at all. 
and and no, the Republican. My 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 daughter has to sign up for uh, Obamacare essentially. Okay, um, being young and poor and being booted off my insurance, and um, and she said she was going to look into the Obamacare thing, but everybody's telling her the Republicans are going to yank that away, so she's not sure she should even sign up. And uh, God, she's so sweet, but. I emailed her. I said, honey, that's not going to happen. Uh, trust me, I follow this stuff for a living. There's no way the Republicans are going to do that. Right. Because uh, they have no other plans to so sign up, for goodness sakes. Anyway, so yeah, the, the rhetoric's overheated. Yeah, of course it is. Meanwhile, well, we'll be fine. Meanwhile, speaking about overheated or just heated, Google employees walked out of the company's offices around the world yesterday in protest of the company's handling of sexual harassment claims specifically at the executive level. At Google's global headquarters in Mountain View, California, employees took to the mic. We have decided that enough is enough is enough. And the crowd was chanting. Lock him up. Lock him up. Lock him up. Build that wall. Build that wall. What? Time Time is up. up. We'll have more uh, on that story with Taylor Telford of the Washington Post coming up uh, at 8 o'clock. Yep. But those, uh, you know, that was a worldwide. Oh, I know. 11 a.m. in every time zone around the world. Google employees would march out. Google employs like 90,000 people. You know, this makes me a bad person. I try really hard to be a good person, but like all of us, I am a sinner. Uh, I, I, I am so delighted. That Google, which has created this entirely one-sided, self-righteous, weepy, snowflake, social justice warrior culture, in which if somebody so much as breathes dissent against the politically correct, they get fired and ostracized and demonized. I, I got to admit, I am so delighted that they are now reaping what they have sown, and their own employees are so teary-eyed and aghast that they behaved like the giant corporation that they are, that they're walking out. We cannot work for a company like this. And what's the management going to do? Ah, oh, wake up, you snowflakes. We had to, we, we saved more than we spent on the guy. We, we wanted to get rid of him, but the case was weak. But they can't do that now. Because they've bred such a whipped-up, borderline Antifa culture there. <laughs> and a last note, a final. A San Francisco 49ers cheerleader took a knee during Thursday's national anthem before the nationally televised game against the Raiders. Maybe she was winded from her cheering. The team hasn't identified the cheerleader yet. Social media, though, exploding with calls for her being fired while others were praising her for taking a stand by taking a knee. All right, fine. So it turns out people have different opinions of that and are angry on social media, you say. Yes, And the next, And now, by 2 o'clock this afternoon, she'll have been identified, and she will be breathlessly telling us on cable news that she's gotten death threats. Yeah, we know. We know. We know. And I don't like to make... <laughs> I'm not making light of death threats, per se, but everybody gets threats on the Internet. And social media outrage has to be considered with how much of that is active... Outside trolling, trying to fan the flames of controversial issues. Whether it's people who are intentionally coming off as a-holes because they know it'll get attention, or Russian troll farms, yeah. Yeah. Or, or whatever. You know, you play Skip to Maloo on your banjo and post it <laughs> online, you'll get death threats. <laughs> That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips of the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. <laughs> So a couple of tech stories coming up. First of all, the Google walkout. Uh, well, that's not first of all. It's second of all, interestingly. Uh, and, and some bonus mailbag. Also, 
the internet genius who says that social media is ruining humanity and will will fell democracy. His arguments are or his arguments rather are fairly nuanced, um, and and we'll just be able to touch on them. But we'll turn you on to what you ought to look at if you want to learn more. We'll do that next Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. For me, I can't get past the death threat. That was back when MySpace was was the hot social media platform, and and any news story that involved MySpace would get on the air because it was just hot. And somebody, I can't remember, somebody had uh, threatened us or was calling us something. I can't even remember. But um, there was a vague allusion in one of the posts that somebody ought to do something about us, and. So we decided that we'd we'd pretend we were horrified by that and <laughs> get on the news. <laughs> and and we it worked. did. We did. <laughs> For me, I can't get past the death threat. Oh, he laughed about it the minute we left. Jack, who's sick today, but yeah, it's just ridiculous. Again, you play skip to Malou on your banjo and post it online, you'll get death threats. Death threats are not funny. Don't do it. But proof that that's Something serious going on is a little weak, as anybody who's ever perused the darker corners of uh, social media knows. So, listen, I'm going to tell you in advance, I'm going to do a fairly poor job of this, I'm afraid, because there's a lot, and and it's nuanced, and it's it's not laid out in a very useful way for a radio show, but I'm really, really intrigued by some of the things that Jaron Lanier is saying lately. If you don't know him, you, you may have seen him. He's a big, like, Buddha-looking guy, big old belly on him. And he's got uh, super long dreadlocks and everything. Um, in 2010, Time Magazine, Kids a Magazine is a website that they print on paper for some reason. Um, they listed him as one of the world's 100 most influential people. He's a, a renowned computer scientist. He's a thinker. He's an author. And he's been sounding the alarm about social media for more than a decade. And I like this phrase from the Mercury News. Um, he's warning that the ad revenue-driven, attention-hoarding algorithms of companies such as Facebook and Twitter are inherently structured to trigger a fight-or-flight response, and he claims that the platforms could threaten the stability of modern society itself. And what we're going to do is post for you a link to the books he's written uh, on the website, Jaron Lanier, uh, so you can you know read more for yourself. Um, it, his newest book is 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts Right Now. I read a review of it. It said, good, not great. Some of his previous books were better. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Book reviewers have a particular view of books. And sometimes just enough is perfect for those of us in, uh, you know, uh, the common man and woman. I don't. I don't necessarily need... Tons and tons of supporting argument. I just we're also busy these days, partly because we're scrolling through social media. Uh, but he happened to be in Santa Cruz lately, uh, talking about well, they cite the, uh, the 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 partisanship, the hate fueled violence, the the bombings, the shootings, the 
you know, of so whether it's synagogues or baseball practices or whatever. Um, and Lanier says, you know, the list of nations grappling with populists, uh, sometimes, you know, in a positive way, sometimes a negative way. But he says, but the thing they all have in common is this recent, relatively recent arrival of social media, followed by this wave of nasty, irritable politics coming to the fore all at once. Um, and, and, you know, there are a lot of positives to Twitter in particular in that unheard voices can now be heard, particularly under totalitarian regimes. Um, it's not all negative, uh, but there are dangers which he gets into. Um, he sees, I see more hope in a new generation of social media users being aware and thus maintaining some control of the platforms we use. Um He says he loves the idea of a population with the wisdom to avoid being herded by algorithms, but he doesn't believe it's possible. He says, and and I wish I knew more about this, but he says, and I quote, it's all this algorithmic adaptive process that keeps trying a million experiments on populations of millions of people until it finds what works. Given that that's the way the system operates in many cases, I respectfully have to inform you that you have no hope of being self-aware about this. His his point is that Facebook is obsessed with knowing what you're about, surveilling you and controlling you, and not like to make you march mindlessly on the Capitol and tear down the White House or anything like that yet. But they have this unthinkably huge economic incentive to heard you and again he describes this as an algorithm adaptive process that keeps trying a million experiments on populations of millions of people until it finds what works he fleshed out his thesis in more detail as he delivered the 2018 peggy downs baskin ethics lecture in santa cruz um he was talking about tech companies selling users data and he was drawing attention to their true product in order to meet an expectation that web services should be free. He says, and this, this is the phrase I really took away, we've created a world in which any time two people connect online, it's financed by a third person who believes they can manipulate the first two and, and profit from them, too. Feeding the cycle, Lanier claims, is an addictive tendency on the part of social media users that he compared to gambling or cigarette smoking. And his proposed solution is designed to account for that addictive tendency. If enough social media users can break away from the dependency, he claims, they could serve as an unbiased base of advocates to reform the system. Um, He he uses the example of tobacco legislation. He invited the audience to run the experiment in their own lives by foregoing social media for six months to test if the platforms are having a negative impact on their lives and emotions. Quote, I'm not telling you what's right for you, but I demand that you discover what's right for you. That, I think, is a fair demand given the stakes. Again, turn off the social media for six months and then assess honestly as you can whether they were having a negative effect or a positive one on your life. Uh, I I love this idea. I love this guy's thinking. I, I have a feeling we would disagree on a hell of a lot of things, but um, he is absolutely sincere in his concern for the human soul, which makes him a friend of mine. Um, no matter you know how he comes off or what his politics are or whatever. 
Uh, and he talks a fair amount about virtual reality and, and the dangers therein. Uh, you know, one thing we've talked about a lot, and I, I realize I'm getting super philosophical because Jack's not here to make fun of me. Um, <laughs> you can run experiments in which you have monkeys eat something with no nutritional value that's yummy, and they will eat it and eat it and eat it until they die of starvation. And they will push aside regular food for it because the regular food isn't as yummy. Social media to me, and we're engaged in it because our industry is demanding it of us more and more and more and more. But I really I put it in my work compartment, not my personal compartment as much as I can. Social media tastes like a connection to another human being, which we need to survive. We need it next to air, water and sleep. It's probably neck and neck with food. We need connection with humans. And social media is that fake monkey food that tastes yummy. It's not connection. It tastes like it, but it's not. Or at the very least, it has very little nutritional value. It's like an Oreo cookie. There are calories you can burn, but that's about it. Um, so anyway, recommend you read more of what Jaron Lanier has to say. And we'll have a handful of articles that he's uh, written and, and books and stuff. If you want to read more at armstrongandgetty.com. News next, then Google Walkout on the Armstrong and Getty Show.